Welcome to a free unabridged recording of Requiem's Dagger by Randall J. Wombeam, book one of the Foothold Saga, read by London Homer, Madison Volley, and Caleb Bristol. Print and Kindle versions of Requiem's Dagger are available on Amazon. Chapter 3. Unaware his travel companions were following him, William walked to Jack's residence. The last time he wandered up the hill, a tree branched whipped out of nowhere, smacking him in the chest with a chocolate pie. Since then, all of Jack's traps had either been triggered or fallen into disrepair. Jack's home had been reduced to crumbling walls surrounded by loose stones. A moss-covered boulder rested inside the cottage as if it had always belonged there. Something huge had ripped the rock off the adjacent cliffs, slamming it through the roof. William swallowed the lump in his throat, clenching his stomach. Maybe the attack had caught Jack by surprise and his friend didn't suffer. Hendrina circled Jack's home, examining every fallen rock and twisted branch. After a concise search of the surrounding forest with Dagfin's help, she returned to William, gently squeezing his shoulder. The wilds have already reclaimed the region. There's nothing left for me to interpret. William sank into himself. He had woken to existence a few miles from Jack's cottage and the first place he explored had been Hambledown. William loitered in the village for months before his nomadic nature kicked in. Losing his oldest friend in memory was like losing a part of his soul. We should keep moving, Hendrina said. Leaving the village behind, William walked in a mindless haze. He was unaware of the forest around him, of the conversations taking place. None of it mattered. His friends were dead, his childhood lost. The dagger contained in his bag. Why did he even care about it? Everything was meaningless. They sporadically rested whenever William's body slumped on a convenient rock or log. For endless minutes he moped, oblivious to Dagfin's chin resting on his knees, before Hendrina prodded him onward. At some point they stopped for the night. William took a seat, ignoring the raging fire and the rabbit stew Hendrina was cooking. The caretaker never saw the beauty of the stars twinkling through the leaves when she was alive. Her region of the wilds was in perpetual twilight with the sky hidden by forest. If she saw a multitude of stars, they were reflections in her pool. Jack enjoyed the stars. He would sit on his steps watching the changing sky, his oversized hat tipped back on his head. William wondered what Jack had been thinking the last time he gazed at the heavens. If only he had been there to talk to his friend to say goodbye. A minuscule green glow landed on a rock near the fire. William rolled onto his side, turning his back to the pixie. She chirped. We have informed our lady that you will be arriving shortly. The festivities shall start in five days. Amaranta's palace was a four-day journey from the camp, a day before the celebrations. But it was pointless. What did William have to celebrate? Death? Loss? Andrina asked, My friends and I have business to discuss with Amaranta. Is it possible that we attend the event as well? Attend? William grunted. He might as well fling the dagger into the forest. Why bother? The green pixie perched on his shoulder. Are you Will the Wanderer? He asserted a positive grunt. Of course! The pixie launched into the air, floating in front of Hendrina. Will is an old and honored friend. He is always welcome in the court, and you may attend with him as guests. Dagfin murmured. Because we aren't old or honored friends. Hendrina shot the dog a warning look. We saw the ruins of Hambledown. Can you tell us what happened? Why did she have to ask that? William didn't need to know the horrid details of Jack's death. Monsters of shadow and steam descended on the village. 
They slaughtered the people and dug up the graveyard. By the time our soldiers arrived, the monsters had fled and the fires in the village had died. Nothing remained. Not even the bodies of the dead. If it weren't for Jack, we wouldn't have learned anything. William was alert and standing. Did you say Jack's alive? Yes, silly. The pixie weaved in the air. If he hadn't escaped, I wouldn't have been able to answer his query, would I? Renewed energy surged through his body. William would have grabbed his backpack and walking stick, demanding that they leave this instant, except his companions were still eating and didn't appear willing to leave their food behind. Hendrina handed him a steaming bowl of rabbit stew. Take a seat. William never asked Hendrina where the cooking equipment came from, since it miraculously appeared from underneath her cloak. He assumed Hendrina had some hidden pocket that shrank the items, or her magic allowed her to spontaneously create everything. Even if he did ask, she may not provide an answer, either because she didn't want to reveal her secret, or because the mysterious magic was beyond explanation. She offered the pixie a thimble-sized bowl. The pixie landed on the log next to William, sinking her minuscule teeth into a piece of rabbit. A neon glow emanating from her wings obscured her clothing, but William was able to see some details. The pixie's outfit was a harlequin pattern of alternating scarlet and royal blue diamonds. As was custom for those serving Amaranta, she was wearing a masquerade mask, a columbina. Speckles reflected off the fire of her costume, but the specks were too diminutive for him to determine if she was adorned in minuscule glass or diamonds. She piped, Is there some reason you're staring at me? I was trying to get a sense of what the current fashion is, so I have an idea of what I need to wear. A mischievous smile split her tiny face in two. My lady says it will make more sense when you attend the masquerade, and not to tell anyone. William nodded his understanding, still staring at her cute outfit. When he looked up to sip his stew, he noted an empty bowl on the ground. Dagfin had finished eating, wandering off on his own. Dagfin eagerly sniffed the soil, pawing the tracks he uncovered. Interesting. Thousands of fae had broken away from the road, heading into the woods. By the smell of it, the majority of them were Olympians. Hundreds of other kingdoms as well, and they were gathering somewhere on the edge of Amaranta's court. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Hendrina better decide to hang around long enough for him to observe what Amaranta was planning firsthand. Following the same route as Jack's escape took William and his companions three days of arduous walking. Jack would have been running, using every magical trick in his arsenal to evade capture. William imagined how terrified his friend must have been during the flight, how uncertain his fate would have seemed. The pixie Tina informed Will, I didn't see Jack until after he was mended, but I heard his right arm and several ribs were broken. The handmaiden attending to his injuries said his nose was bent sideways. Hearing about Jack's broken ribs didn't bother William. The nose worried him. Jack was fond of his schnozzle, a comically pointed feature jutting out of his face. Blossoming on the tip was a hairy wart, making it difficult for people to look Jack directly in the eyes. Jack would have been upset if his nose was ruined, but it was also possible he would enjoy his nose facing the wrong direction. It was difficult to tell with him sometimes. Did Amaranta fix his nose? You wouldn't realize it was ever broken looking at him now. What about his hat? Rumor has it he would have been better off had he left it behind. Jack's hat was as much of his being as William's walking stick was part of him. Losing it would be a blow to his sense of self and to his magic. Jack could easily misplace clothes as he had demonstrated streaking through the village, but he always wore that gaudy hat. The passage leading to Amaranta's court was a marbled archway etched with gleaming indigo ruins. The brick road changed once it passed through the passage, taking on a luminous white sheen. Although they were walking in the middle of the day, once they entered the land beyond, the world would be cast in perpetual nighttime. Approaching the entryway, Stratton and Elizabeth became eerily quiet. 
their gazes frozen in amazement. The kingdom on the other side was a land of carefully tended incandescent mushrooms, glowing leaves, and sparkling bark. William was more concerned with the ten-foot behemoth standing on the either side of the entryway, glaring at the approaching party. Dressed in puffy masquerade costumes of the same blue and red as Tina, their faces were hidden behind matching Bauta masks. The tiny sparkles on Tina's costumes were revealed to be round mirrors, identical to the mirrors on the sentry's costumes. William saw himself reflected in the silvery surface of the behemoth's disguises. Tina hovered between the two sentries. Presenting to the court the Honorable Pegasus with his bodyguards Stratton and Elizabeth, ninth daughter of the Winter King, for admittance to the royal masquerade. Deep voices boomed in unison. You may enter. Tina waited for the three to proceed before announcing. William the Wonder escorting the hunting pair of Hendrina and Dagfin. They bring an item of great danger to discuss with Our Lady. They also request admittance to the royal masquerade. Prior to approaching the sentries, William had removed the box from his backpack. He opened the lid, presenting them the dagger. At the same moment, both sentries stepped away from William, the first time in sentries he recalled them actually moving. Silence lingered for a moment before both guards bellowed, You may attend the masquerade, and Our Lady wishes to speak with you. Dagfin commented, I want to be here the day they refuse entry or not shout everything. The guards glowered at Dagfin as he walked past, the canine playfully growling back. Hendrina stayed behind to inform the guards, I saw no evidence we were being followed, but be wary of anything suspicious. The dead queen may be involved. I advise you to triple your numbers. Two thunderous voices said, We shall do as you advise. William shuffled through the contents of his backpack, securing the box amongst the belongings for a second time. The dagger never wormed its way into his heart, and he had avoided thinking about that possibility, but holding it was unnerving. Mavash had murdered the caretaker with the knife, and he didn't want to be responsible for bringing her wrath into what William considered the most beautiful kingdom of the Fey realm. The distance between Pegasus and William increased several feet, the winged horse nervously eyeing the backpack. Elizabeth kneeled next to him, asking, Where did you get that? It's best you don't know. When you opened the box, I felt death clawing in my heart. Forget you saw it. Don't even think about it. All pretense of warmth drained from Elizabeth's demeanor. She reminded him of other winter-loving fae, calculating and emotionally frigid. You had that thing on you this entire trip and you didn't warn us? When I pulled out the box, we told you to look elsewhere when I opened the lid. That doesn't change the fact that you should have warned us. Whatever that thing is, it's calling out to someone. Someone terrifying. Which is why you need to forget about it. Hendrina placed herself between Elizabeth and William. Before you saw the dagger, could you tell it was calling out to anyone? No. How about at this moment? No. Then we're safe. So let's avoid any further arguments. Elizabeth's mouth opened as if she intended to disagree, but she walked away, stroking Pegasus's neck. She was the only person Pegasus did not show open disdain or disinterest in. If anything, his hatred of Hendrina and Dagfin was now centered solely on William and the contents of his backpack. William asked in a low voice, Did you sense anything from the dagger like she did? I would have told you if I had. Did you see what the sentries were wearing? Yeah, mirrors. What do you think that means? Stratton was too busy ogling the flowers to notice Elizabeth casting a dark questioning look backwards. William admitted, I don't know. A decade ago, Jack claimed a couple of teenagers from the mortal realm had visited him. They were tempted by an image of radiant flowers and trees in their bathroom mirror. Believing they were entering some mystical wonderland, the boys stepped in the mirror only to discover they were on a one-way trip. Other mortals were said to have been deceived into entering the Fey realm by jumping in ponds or pushing through glass that had magically gave way. William listened to the stories, believing them to be fanciful tales. 
The only mortals he had personally known had died, awakening as ghosts in the Fey realm. Or so they claimed. Mirrors, reflections, the mortal realm. Passages. William walked backwards, eyeing the gateway with growing interest. If he were to believe everything he heard, the reflections acted as doorways, and doorways could be entered from both. It can't be that simple. William stopped, gaping at the magical passage behind him. It made perfect sense, but it couldn't be true. Mavash would murder... No, she would wage war with everyone to ensure she had the monopoly on the souls in the mortal realm. Hendrina nudged him with a friendly shove. What can't be that simple? We can travel to the mortal realm. Chapter 4 Hendrina reacted by calmly walking away and asking Tina, Would you mind informing Lady Amaranta that we have an urgent need to see her? We shall escort these three to the castle. The pixie squeaked a response, darting down the road to vanish amongst the luminous foliage. Elizabeth shot a dangerous look at Hendrina, showing her disapproval at the pixie's dismissal. When she returned to William's side, Hendrina whispered, I'm skeptical. So am I, he admitted before explaining his reasoning in hushed tones. Elizabeth was watching them, torn between Stratton's boasting and attempting to listen to the private conversation behind her. William avoided mentioning Mavash by name or even calling her the Dead Queen, instead referring to her as owner of the deadly item. By the time William finished explaining why he believed the reflections had become gateways between realms, they had reached their destination, a tailor shop catering to visitors. Rather than continue the conversation, Hendrina chose to lead everyone inside. Dagfin stopped William at the entrance. I'm wondering where you've been hiding the flask you've been getting drunk off of, and more importantly, why you haven't been sharing. I'm not drunk. Listen to yourself. Traveling into the mortal realm, she who owns the deadly item murdering the gatekeeper to destroy a rival passage, even Jack would agree with me. That's preposterous. Shelves loaded with masquerade masks, fabric, and outfits filled the generous space inside the shop. Half a dozen tailors tended customers, taking measurements and adjusting garments. Hendrina searched for a mask that would fit Dagfin while Pegasus scowled at them. Elizabeth spoke with the tailor about appropriate attire, watching William when the shopkeeper turned his back. Stratton was oblivious to a tailor trying to push him behind a curtain, asking him to put his clothes back on. Perhaps there's something I may help you with? Waiting for a response was a man dressed in a jester's outfit. His Arlecchino mask shrouded his features, but William had the impression that the man recognized him from previous visits. Yes, can you tell me what Our Lady is wearing for the party? Of course, the man said in a voice that teased satisfaction at being asked such vital questions. For William to inquire what Amaranta planned on wearing showed William's trust in his services, allowing the tailor to prove his devotion. This was the least William could do, since the clothing was free. The delighted tailor was halfway through an explanation of the style of mirrors adorning Amaranta's dress when a voice asked, Excuse me. Are you William the Wanderer? The voice was so polite William did not think anything of it. Yes, I am. William was given enough time to see an elfin-faced man before something fleshy slammed into his cheek, throwing William's head sideways. The tailor leaped in front of the man, but not before a second fist clobbered William's stomach. The attacker was not particularly strong, but the assault had been unexpected. William wiped his mouth, smearing the blood pooling off his cracked lip. The elfin-faced man struggled as four tailors hauled him towards the exit. "'You monster!' he howled as he was forced out the door. "'I know about what you did!' Hendrina held a mask at her side as she asked, 
What was that about? I've no idea. Through the centuries, William had explored numerous kingdoms and wild regions in the Fey realm. For the most part, he had befriended everyone he'd encountered, but he'd also made mistakes with unfortunate consequences. Sadly, some of his friends had died. Dagfin rolled onto his back, wagging his tail. Please, you have to tell me what you did. I'll let you rub my belly. I told you, I have no idea. You're lying. Please tell me. The tailor tending William bowed. My apologies. I hope you find no fault with us. I assure you he is being dealt with and our lady shall render judgment upon him. Did he give any explanations as to his motives? Nothing sane, sir. William rubbed his jaw. His attacker had already changed into costume, so he couldn't place where he'd hailed from. But there was something familiar about him. William could picture the man in a crisp white suit and hat. When they spoke about the dagger, Amaranta would likely inform William what she uncovered, assuming his attacker had confessed anything rational. At the moment, it was more important that they were suitably dressed for the imminent masquerade. You are rather knowledgeable about the court. Perhaps you can help us find appropriate attire so we can compliment one another. An ecstatic squeal emerged from the tailor's throat, and he clapped his hands excitedly. A minute later, the pleased man was zipping around the shop, offering advice and directing the other tailors to work with him. William followed the enthusiastic man, trying to figure out where his attacker hailed from, while ignoring the taste of chocolate he associated with blood. The tailors succeeded in coordinating their outfits, providing them with enough ample flair to highlight their individuality. What tied them together was a copious amount of gold. He tried to convince William silver matched the mirrors sewn into the fabric, but William was adamant they avoid any silver. Since they were animals, Pegasus and Dagfin chose to walk around nude rather than don costumes. To offset their lack of clothing, they opted for the most opulent columbina masks available. They were going to be in the presence of Lady Amaranta herself and should dress accordingly, as the tailor insisted every other sentence. Stratton found a blue and red toga amongst the costumes, replacing his ordinary sandals with a pair of gold sandals. Since he was fond of the square-shaped bauda mask the sentinels wore, he selected a similar mask with an elaborate gold trim. One half of the mask was blue, the other side red. While walking, he paused, stripping his attire to admire the artistry. Hendrina, like William, had chosen to carry her costume rather than wear it out of the shop. They opted for a harlequin-patterned affair, fixed with hundreds of round mirrors. They coordinated so the patterns reversed when they stood alongside one another, a recommendation from the tailor. They finished with complimenting Volto masks. Hendrina, because she always kept her face hidden, and William to cover the jagged rip in his lip. As was required for stay in the court, they sported the masks as they hiked to the palace. Excited to be attending the party, Elizabeth found the most sumptuous dress in the shop, one that flowed around her hips and swooshed as she circled. The tailor had to remind Elizabeth she was to present herself to Amaranta, not upstage her, when she tried to pick the most elaborate mask on the shelves. He also explained that a simple mask would work best with her clothing. In the end, she selected a scarlet gato mask the tailor recommended. Elizabeth's and Stratton's admiration for their clothing and their need to gawk at the radiant flora delayed their arrival to the village circling the castle grounds until a few hours before the masquerade was underway. Pegasus, fed up with the constant stopping, sneered at them before unfolding his wings, leaping into the air. Stratton called for his return, but Pegasus didn't care. During William's frequent visits to the court, finding a place to stay in the village had never been a problem. More kingdoms than William knew existed had sent delegates to attend the masquerade, and they had booked all of the available houses. Eventually, he managed to locate an attic with a single bed for them to share. 
Elizabeth and Stratton barely bothered to toss their belongings into their room before rushing to the celebrations. William dug through the backpack, removing the dagger's container and the coin purse he emptied at the Mertali Proser Lacus. His backpack would be too cumbersome, so he chose to leave it behind. As always, he was hesitant, reminding himself his belongings were safe. Theft was an alien concept to Amaranta's people, and sorcery secured the door. Dagfin and William waited patiently for Hendrina to finish dressing. When she exited the room, she kept scratching her mask. She scowled at William as he teased, You look wonderful. Revelers lined the village streets, throwing colorful confetti while becoming increasingly drunk. Every available inch of the kingdom was dedicated to the masquerade. Even the sentries would be partying once the passages were sealed and the gaieties officially started. When the festivities died down, Lady Amaranta would retire for a few days before announcing plans for the next masquerade. After months of tireless work, the people would again throw a party as they had been doing for the last four centuries. The couple queuing ahead of them were citizens of the court awarded special admittance to the party. Amaranta always provided some of her people the honor of attending the royal ball, regardless of their station in the kingdom. The two men were ecstatic they had been chosen to attend an event bursting with so many foreign dignitaries, as they continually told everyone with an earshot. As William crossed under the arch, the man proclaiming their arrival asked who they were before calling out, Presenting William the Wanderer and his guests Hendrina Huntress of the Wilds and Dagfin Sniffer Outer of Great Evils. Dagfin grinned as the man announced the dog's official title. It was impossible to read the expression behind his mask, but William detected an amused chuckle. One reason he loved visiting the court was that the citizens had a sense of humor. Too many fey lords would have had Dagfin's head, or worse, if a joke was made at their expense. Hendrina disappeared into a corner to skulk while Dagfin sniffed out the food. William paused to take in the view, quickly moving out of the way. The courtyard stretched for a mile, ending at a pair of curved steps leading to the fabulous white marble stones of Amaranta's palace. On either side of the courtyard were hedge mazes bursting with excited partygoers. Elaborately dressed fae danced to mellow music on checkerboards of black and mirrored tiles, while scarlet and royal blue streamers fluttered in the gentle breeze overhead. Fountains depicting the celebrations with fae statues holding mirrors were scattered everywhere, providing the fae a place to sit, holding plates piled with food. The mirror maze was so popular, Faye were queuing, waiting until the partygoers trapped inside escaped. The walls shook as Faye bounced off mirrors they mistakenly walked into, laughing. Barricaded by red and blue ropes was a gathering area nestled underneath the castle steps. Three brightly colored curtains concealed articles of interest Amaranta planned on revealing once the partygoers were feigning boredom. Possibly mirrors, William told himself. The entities attending the gala interested William more than the entertainment. Congregating around him was every conceivable category of fae in red and blue masquerade regalia. Unicorns stood next to centaurs, trolls, brownies, pixies, and ghosts. Bizarrely grotesque yokai and smoky gin. William had to watch where he stepped for fear of treading on some diminutive figure darting beneath his feet. People acknowledged him, waving or nodding as he passed. For six centuries, William had traveled extensively, and though he didn't recognize everyone greeting him, they likely realized he had visited their kingdom at one time or another. As prolific as his travels were, they had not taken him everywhere. He couldn't identify the regions many of the delegates said they hailed from. The Fey realm had been expanding in the last 50 to 100 years. At least two or three new kingdoms were born each month, which, judging by the many strange faces William encountered, was a conservative estimate on his part. Elizabeth and Stratton waited in line at the mirror maze, chatting with a kappa standing behind them. Dagfin rejoined Hendrina as she revealed one of their exciting adventures to gaping admirers. 
Since his traveling companions were engaged elsewhere, William searched for something to eat. The ostentatious costumes could only distract him from the box's content for a short while. He reminded himself he was safe in the courtyard, that the dagger was incapable of piercing the wood to disembowel him. He plucked the top glass off a pyramid of wine glasses, eyeing the food. After he grabbed the delicate glass, a new wine glass shimmered into existence, ready for someone else. When he first witnessed food magically appear centuries ago, William circled the table, removing items to watch food seemingly come into existence. William was not as easily enthralled as he once was. That was until he saw the latest addition to the buffet. Waiting on sparkling blue plates and orderly rows was sushi. William had never encountered sushi before, and despite his lack of experience, he understood exactly what he was eyeing. The names, the words to describe the food, were a part of his being he never questioned. After piling two samples of every available roll on a scarlet plate, William took his first bite. Fantastic. He rolled the flavor on his tongue, savoring the crunch of soft-shelled crabs between his teeth. Do you know what goes well with raw fish? Chocolate. No, that would be... Jack! Presenting a stolen plate of sweets was a man a hair shy of five feet tall, with a dilapidated cavalier hat wedged atop his straw-like hair. A ratty peacock feather protruded from the ribbon of his weathered hat. Jack's usual patchwork of rags had been replaced by a jester's outfit. A puccinella mask concealed the upper half of his leathery face, the only style capable of fitting Jack's pencil-like nose. Below the mask was a satisfied grin, brimming with an assortment of crooked, decomposing teeth. William would have dropped the plate and grabbed his friend in a massive bear hug, but Jack's breath was nauseating enough standing above him. I almost believed you were dead, William commented. That's a fine way to greet someone. I thought you had rolled in a pile of filth, but you look clean. There's some truth in that, but I'll tell you later. What happened to Hambledown? Jack's shoulders drooped. He was no longer carrying himself with the energetic confidence he once had. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have asked. No, I'd prefer if you were the one asking rather than everyone else. Jack said, a sly edge to his comical smile. Monsters came. Maybe a hundred of them. All shadows and cold magic like death. Some of the people were eaten. Others killed. I fled. Shadows and death? William hesitated inquiring, but the presence of the dagger demanded he check. It didn't have anything to do with the dead queen, did it? Interesting question, Jack said, suspiciously eyeing the box. No. The magic wasn't stale. It was new. All steam and gears. Are you sure I can't entrust you in any chocolate? No, William said, the color draining from his face. Whenever he tasted chocolate, there was a lingering aftertaste of blood. Are you sure? Jack said, throwing an orange truffle in his mouth, smacking his lips. This is delightful. I'm sure. Positive. You know I don't like chocolate. I do, but I'm not the one you have to convince. William turned the direction Jack indicated before his friend crammed a handful of chocolates into his mouth. Barreling towards them was the elfin-faced man. Both of his fists were bald, his lips were thin and frowning. Palace guards in red and blue tabards escorted him towards William, hands resting on the hilts of their rapiers. The man stopped a few feet from William, taking several deep breaths. I've been informed by the Lady Amaranta that I may enjoy the party if I apologize to you. The tone in his voice indicated the man was only talking with William because he was given no other choice. He had to take several deep breaths before he could speak again, cracking his knuckles. I'm sorry I attacked you. 
it was inappropriate behavior for her lady's court. William kept a friendly smile on his face despite the sneer aimed at him. He still had no idea why the man had attacked him, but he could taste blood and chocolate. It couldn't be that straightforward, could it? That's okay, we can resolve our grievances later. How about now? The man approached a roast turkey on the table, removing the carving knife. Silver blades flashed as rapiers were drawn, but the man did not attack. He presented the knife's handle to William. Your right ear. A gift for my friend. So he can eat your ear like you did his. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Foothold Saga. You can follow Randall J. Wombeam on Facebook for updates about his writing and the Foothold Saga on Twitter for updates about this podcast. To support this free audiobook, give us a review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you.